Today's podcast comes from a program titled Science versus Evolution by Jeff Miller and focuses on the question, did the universe cause itself? Scientists and philosophers recognize that there must be an adequate cause to bring about observed effects. However, how did the universe and everything in it come into being? Could the universe simply cause itself? Or does it also require an adequate cause to bring it into existence? Let's listen to Jeff Miller as he unpacks this foundational question. Do creationists have a blind, evidenceless faith? Or do we have a reasonable faith, while evolutionists have a blind faith? In our last session, we considered the fact that the mere existence of the laws of science is proof of a universal law writer. The naturalist must irrationally hold to the position that the laws of nature exist without a law writer. Such a conclusion is without evidence and is therefore irrational and unscientific. All available evidence points to the conclusion that a law requires a law writer. We then turned our attention to the first and second laws of thermodynamics and found that it could not have existed forever the universe, or have popped into existence from nothing, proving that someone must exist outside of the universe that created it. Obviously, that's an important finding as it disproves naturalistic evolution and proves that God still belongs in the science classroom. Recall that the laws of science have been discovered through extensive scientific investigation, gathering mounds of evidence that points to some conclusion. If anything can be said to be scientific, it's the laws of science, and they are without exception. According to the McGraw-Hill Dictionary of Scientific and Technical Terms, a scientific law is a regularity which applies to all members of a broad class of phenomena. If the laws of science prohibit naturalistic theories, such as Darwinian evolution and the Big Bang, it would be irrational to continue to accept them. Sadly, the bulk of academia today stands under the dark shroud of irrationalism. In this session, we're going to look at two other areas of science to see what they have to say about the matter of origins. Ultimately, the laws of science present major unresolvable issues for the evolutionary model. The creation model, on the other hand, is in perfect harmony with the laws of science and even predicts their effects. No one has directly observed God. No one was here to witness the origin of the universe, to witness whether it was God or a Big Bang that started it all. No one was alive to see the flood of Noah's day. No one was here to witness the origin of life. No creationist witnessed God breathing life into man, and no evolutionist witnessed abiogenesis, non-living substances springing to life. No one has been alive long enough to directly witness firsthand whether or not Darwinian evolution has happened. But we can arrive at answers to these questions by examining the aftermath of these events, by examining indirect evidence. In the same way that forensic science can be used for legal purposes to help determine what happened in an accident or crime or some other event without the scientist actually witnessing the event, when we study our natural surroundings, it can help to illuminate how the universe got here. The question one must ask is, which model is more in harmony with the evidence, creation or evolution? In this seminar, we're examining the evolution idea, the atheist explanation to see if it harmonizes with the evidence. The third law of science that stands against atheistic evolutionary models like the Big Bang is the law of cause and effect, or the law of causality, as it is sometimes called. It basically states that if there is an effect, 
there must logically be a cause. And more precisely, the law of causality says that in nature, every material effect must have an adequate antecedent or simultaneous cause. The cause must proceed or, or come before the effect or occur at the same time as the effect, and it has to have the necessary potential, the necessary power to cause the effect. Now, this law is so obvious that scientists take it for granted. It's assumed. But in actuality, scientifically speaking, causality is not some idea that can be brushed aside without consideration. The goal of scientific experimentation is to figure out what will happen, what will be the effect if you do certain things, if you initiate certain causes. If there's no relationship between cause and effect, then nothing can be taken for granted. There, there's be no such thing as science. One day gravity may be in effect, the next day it's not. There'd be no such thing as a scientific law since there'd be no such thing as a regularity, which, remember, is a part of the definition of a law. The National Academy of Science's guidebook for teaching about evolution and the nature of science says, quote, One goal of science is to understand nature. Understanding in science means relating one natural phenomenon to another and recognizing the causes and effects of phenomena. Causality, the law of cause and effect, is fundamental to the field of science, and even the evolutionists rec uh, recognize that. Now, if a baseball comes flying over the fence in your backyard, you know that something, someone, caused it. It didn't start flying of its own accord. The flight of the baseball is the effect of some cause. Leaning against a mountain will not cause it to topple over, no matter how hard you push. An adequate cause must be present to create such an effect. If you're sitting in a room and a wind-up toy comes running across the floor in front of you, you know that someone wound that toy up and sent it running. If you open up the cookie jar and you see a half-eaten cookie and there are children in the house, you know what happened. The cookie certainly didn't eat itself. If a chair is not placed in an empty room, the room will remain chairless. Seems simple? Well, understand, this principle might seem common sense and simple, so much so that it's easy to not fully grasp how important it is in this creation-evolution debate. The law of causality is a major problem for the evolutionary model of origins because there has to be a cause for the universe and for life, and atheists don't have one. In fact, they must insist that there can't be a cause under the naturalistic model. The Pyramids of Giza one of the seven wonders of the world. The world can't come to an agreement as to how these structures were built and why. Some people think maybe aliens did it and a movie called Stargate was put out about that idea. Scientists may not know with certainty how or why they were built, but scientists know that they couldn't have happened on their own. Intelligent design was involved, some cause. Stonehenge in Great Britain. After studying these interesting rock formations, Scientists concluded that the formations were likely designed to allow predictions based on the stars above, but many questions still remain unsolved today, including how this information was used, how the rocks were transported to this location and set up. But one thing is clear to scientists. Even though they weren't there to witness the creation of these formations, scientists recognized the presence of intelligent design. An adequate cause was necessary to build these formations. Nobody is senseless enough to argue that these formations happened on their own. Could someone try to make that claim? Could someone say, well, you know, these rocks just accidentally ended up this way and formed themselves due to some flood or due to a tornado or a meteor or something? Yeah, sure, someone, someone could argue that, but no one would. 
because we recognize the product of a human mind when we see it. There's clear intelligent design at work in these formations. Common sense tells us that there must have been an adequate cause for these formations. Why in the world would a universe replete with examples of infinitely more complex organized structures requiring a mind much greater than our own be deemed the product of an accident? Unfortunately, common sense seems to have no place in a discussion of origins with many scientists today. We know that in nature, an effect has a cause. The fact that planets exist and are floating through space and are spinning shows that they are an effect. The existence of life, living beings, is an effect and there must be an adequate cause. Things don't come to life on their own. Someone had to cause those things to happen and yet the naturalist, the atheist, has no explanation. Now that said, evolutionists are in a fix trying to explain how the effect of this infinitely complex universe could have come about without a cause. Some three decades ago, Robert Jastrow of NASA, who I've quoted from in a previous session, he said, quote, "...the universe and everything that has happened in it since the beginning of time are a grand effect without a known cause." An effect without a cause? That's not the world of science. It's a world of witchcraft, of wild events and the whims of demons, a medieval world that science has tried to banish. As scientists, what are we to make of this picture? I do not know. Now understand that when Jastrow admits that there's no known cause for everything in the universe, he's talking about the fact that there's no known natural cause. If atheism were true, there must be a natural explanation for what caused the universe. Scientists and philosophers recognize that there must be a cause that would be enough to bring about matter in the universe. In other words, they understand that the law of causality demands an explanation for the origin of the universe, a cause, and yet no natural cause is known. But again, as with the other laws of science that we've looked at, the creationist is not in the quandary that the evolutionist finds himself in. The creationist believes that there's something beyond nature, something supernature. In the very first verse of the Bible, we're told that God is the ultimate cause of the universe. The creation model has a cause in keeping with science. The evolutionary model has no known cause. So question, which view is the scientific choice? Hebrews 3.4 says, Every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Every house is built by someone. In other words, every house has a cause. But the ultimate cause of all things, every material entity in the, in the universe, according to the Bible, that's God. Now, a natural question that typically comes from this study is, now wait a minute, if everything has a cause, then doesn't God need a cause? What caused God? That's a natural question and it deserves a response. First of all, the statement, everything has a cause, isn't what the law of causality says. It says, every material effect must have an adequate cause. You see, the laws of nature only apply to nature, the universe, physical, material things. Why? Because remember that the laws of nature result only from a study of nature, not supernature. But God is not material or physical. He's spiritual, John 4, 24. So the law doesn't even apply to Him. Since we can't observe the supernatural realm today, we can't claim a cause as necessary for a spiritual being. But second, let's go ahead and think about this. Even if we apply the law of causality to a spiritual being, think about this logic. If there were ever a time in history when absolutely nothing existed, not even God, then logically nothing would still exist because nothing comes from nothing. Nothing could create itself. 
if the law applied to the spiritual realm, there'd have to be a cause for a spiritual being coming into existence from nothing in the same way that there'd be a need for a physical object. So if there were ever a time in history when nothing existed, then nothing would still exist. But we know that something does exist, namely the universe. We know that exists. So by implication, since something exists, something had to exist forever. There couldn't be a time when nothing existed or we'd still have nothing. And we know that that something that has existed forever can't be physical or material since nothing physical lasts forever, according to the second law of thermodynamics. So that means that logically speaking, something non-material, something not physical, had to exist forever, not having a cause. According to the Bible, that's God. So notice again, the creation model has no conflict with science or reason. The evolutionary model, on the other hand, is in contradiction with science and reason. It requires the baseless assumption that there's no cause, which amounts to superstition and witchcraft. A fourth set of scientific principles that are relevant in our assessment of evolution, probability, is intimately intertwined with science. Scientists constantly study causes and effects. You know, what will happen if I do this or do that? We try to determine all the factors that go into producing a certain effect, knowing that we can't account for all of them. And since we can't get perfect equations and can't account for every factor, we have to rely on probabilities. We look at past results and get statistics on those results so we can figure out how likely it is that something will or won't happen. In other words, we determine probabilities. Mark Kack was a famous mathematician and professor at Cornell and Rockefeller Universities. He said, quote, probability is a cornerstone of all the sciences, and its daughter, the science of statistics, enters into all human activities. Evolutionists understand the significance of probability in science, and probability can be fine and good, but here's the problem. Evolutionists, in trying to defend atheism, go too far in their use of probability and its laws. Some scientists argue that anything will happen, given enough time, no matter how far-fetched, as long as it doesn't have a probability of zero. They claim that since evolution supposedly doesn't have a probability of zero, then as long as it has enough time to do its work, it'll happen. Supposedly, objects will just pop into existence, and eventually those, those things can grow the necessary components and come to life and start strolling around and with a little magic and sleight of hand, just poof, eventually even become humans, as long as those things don't have a probability of zero and as long as we throw enough time at it. Evolutionists have long cited the principles of probability, trying to find grounds to support evolution. As far back as 1954, Nobel laureate George Wald of Harvard University, writing in Scientific American concerning abiogenesis, which is the idea, again, that life can come from non-life. He wrote, However improbable we regard this event or any of the steps it involves, given enough time, it will almost certainly happen at least once. And for life as we know it, once may be enough. Time is the hero of the plot. Given so much time, the impossible becomes possible, the possible becomes probable, and the probable becomes virtually certain. One has only to wait. Time itself performs miracles. Well, there's at least four problems with that statement about the nature of the laws of probability which I address in my book, Science Versus Evolution. Uh, see our website for that book, www.apologeticspress.org. For the sake of time, let's look at three of those problems for a few moments. First of all, even if we were to concede that having an exorbitant amount of time could somehow allow evolution to occur, there's still a problem. We simply aren't given that much time for it to have occurred. 
Many aren't aware that there are over 70 different scientific dating techniques based on standard evolutionary assumptions, which all indicate that the Earth is actually relatively young. Again, see our website for that evidence. Why aren't people aware of those dating techniques? Well, probably because they're not emphasized in classrooms and textbooks because they don't support the naturalist's agenda. A second problem that comes up when the evolutionist claims that evolution is inevitable given enough time comes from the work of evolutionist Emile Borel, renowned French mathematician for whom the Borel Lunar Crater is named. In three books, he discussed in depth what is known as the single law of chance, which states that, quote, events whose probability is extremely small never occur. At least he says, quote, we must act in all circumstances as if they were impossible. The law, he says, applies to, quote, the sort of event which, though its impossibility may not be rationally demonstrable, is, however, so unlikely that no sensible person will hesitate to declare it actually impossible. If someone affirmed having observed such an event, we would be sure that he is deceiving us or has himself been the victim of a fraud. In other words, there are some events you can't directly prove to be impossible, but sensible people still consider them to be impossible. A person might be able to calculate the probability of something ridiculous happening, but that doesn't really make it possible in practice, in the real world. We have common sense. We have intuition. And intuitively, we human beings know that there are some things that simply won't happen, and we treat them as such. We disregard their possibilities without even a second thought. Burrell tried to put a number on that idea. So what did he mean when he said events with extremely small probabilities don't occur? That's kind of vague, isn't it? Well, Burrell gets more specific in his books. He tries to put some skin on the bones, if you will. He starts from the human perspective, determining what the typical human being considers to be a negligible probability, trying to put a number on what human beings consider to be, in essence, impossible events. For example, there's a possibility that a few monkeys with scissors and dozens of magazines working away for weeks and weeks could perfectly reproduce the complete works of Shakespeare by cutting out the necessary words and arranging them correctly. You could actually put a number on that possibility. But we as human beings know intuitively that that couldn't happen, regardless of how much time is given and regardless of the probability. Our common sense tells us that because we know that a mind would be necessary to recreate such works. Random accidental arrangement isn't sufficient to explain the works of Shakespeare. Just because a person tries to calculate the probability of something ridiculous happening doesn't really mean that it could ever happen. We have common sense. We have intuition. We know that there are some things that simply won't happen, and we treat them as such. We disregard their possibilities without even a second thought. Another example. There's a possibility, a very minute probability, that an ape locked in a room playing with a laptop could potentially recreate perfectly the Encyclopedia Britannica by randomly banging keys. Did you know that you could actually compute a probability for that scenario? You could actually put a number to that possibility. But does that make it an event that would ever happen? Of course not. And yet the evolutionist still irrationally argues that evolution could happen. He says, well, it could happen. Apes could do that. And so evolution could happen too. Believe it or not, researchers at Plymouth University in England conducted a test with six Sulawesi-crested macaques, six monkeys like these guys on the screen. Their goal was to see what would happen 
if six monkeys were left alone with a computer. Their names, Elmo, Gum, Heather, Holly, Mistletoe, and Rowan. Maybe they could accidentally write a volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica, right? You think that happened? How about just a page? How about a single paragraph? A sentence? Okay, surely they made at least one word, right? According to Mike Phillips, one of the researchers, the first thing that happened was that the, quote, lead male got a stone and started bashing it. He went on to say that another thing they were interested in was marking the keyboard as their territory. See, now that's what we would expect to happen with animals. Humans have common sense that tells us that these monkeys would not be able to replicate the Encyclopedia Britannica, no matter how much time they were given and no matter what the odds are. Did they ever produce anything? Well, yes, they did eventually produce five pages of text. But it was primarily composed of the letter S and the letters A, J, L, and M from time to time. Mike Phillips said they pressed a lot of S's. Obviously, English isn't their first language. Not one word of the English language was accidentally stumbled across. But wouldn't we expect results like that? Doesn't our common sense tell us that that's what will happen? It's not a matter of probability. There are just some things that won't occur regardless of how much time you give and no matter what you say the odds are. Burrell, in essence, developed a law that would help quantify such impossible events. He determined the probability for those events that the typical reasonable individual person would consider to be impossible. Negligible events, like the probability of monkeys recreating the works of Shakespeare with scissors and magazines. Then he stepped back, as it were, and mathematically extrapolated the probability of negligible events from an earthly perspective as a whole, rather than from an individual's perspective. And finally, from that, he calculated the probability of impossible universal cosmic events that would fall under the single law of chance. Ultimately, concerning those cosmic events, he argues using mathematics that humans consider the probabilities of chance cosmic events that are less than 1 in 10 to the 45th power to be impossible. This is a number that is arrived at after logical reasoning by a renowned mathematician and evolutionist. In other words, if the probability of a certain event happening in the universe is less than 1 in 10 to the 45th power, a 1 with 45 zeros after it, then intuition tells human beings to categorize that event as so unlikely that we would consider it to be an impossible event and not worthy of consideration. Now here's the problem. If atheistic evolution is true, then abiogenesis must be true. That is, life came about from non-life. Life spontaneously generated. It created itself. How does that relate to the single law of chance? Evolutionist Harold Morowitz of Yale University, currently professor of biology and natural philosophy at George Mason University, he estimated the probability of the formation of the smallest and simplest living organism to be 1 in 10 to the 340 millionth power. According to the single law of chance, that's a probability so far under what we should consider negligible that it really is unfathomable. The implication from the single law of chance is that the random chance formation of the smallest, simplest living organism would not occur. It's not worthy of our attention. According to Burrell, any sensible person would disregard the possibility of life coming from non-life, considering it to be an impossible event. Notice on the screen, 1 in 10 to the 45th power is the top number. The bottom number is only 1 in 10 to the 1,000th power. 
add another 340,000 sets of that many zeros, and you have 1 in 10 to the negative 340 millionth power, the estimated probability of the formation of the smallest and simplest living organism, according to evolutionist Harold Morowitz of Yale University. That sound like a pretty slim chance to you? How about this? The late renowned evolutionist Carl Sagan made his own estimation of the chance that life could evolve on any single given planet. One in 10 to the two billionth power. That's two million sets of this many zeros on the screen. And what's more, you have to keep in mind that these calculations were made before much of the most recent research, which reveals with even more clarity the complexity of life. Again, these probability estimations for the formation of life made by evolutionists themselves are so far beyond the limit Borel stated for cosmic events by the single law of chance that it's not even funny. It's actually shocking. The creation model has been put under a bushel, as it were, by the scientific community, even though it's actually the logical conclusion from the evidence, not evolution. Naturalistic evolution is so far-fetched and mystical that it amounts to witchcraft. Common sense, intuition, reason, mathematics all point to the conclusion that evolution and therefore atheism is not possible, even granting the evolutionists' own assumptions. The distinguished atheistic British astronomer Sir Frederick Hoyle once said regarding evolution, the chance that higher forms have emerged in this way is comparable with the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. Hoyle further said, At all events, anyone with even a nodding acquaintance with the Rubik's Cube will concede the near impossibility of a solution being obtained by a blind person moving the cubic faces at random. Now imagine 10 to the 50th power blind persons, each with a scrambled Rubik's Cube, and try to conceive of the chance of them all simultaneously arriving at the solved form. You then have the chance of arriving by random shuffling of just one of the many biopolymers on which life depends. The notion that not only biopolymers, but the operating program of a living cell could be arrived at by chance in a primordial organic soup here on the earth is evidently nonsense of a high order. The simultaneous placing of all the necessary pieces of the puzzle to form only one of life's biopolymers through blind chance, random accidents, and on top of that impossibility, the random, spontaneous creation of the program that controls the behavior of a cell at the same time, according to the famous scientist and evolutionist Fred Hoyle, that's nonsense. Science simply does not support such a fairy tale scenario. No wonder well-known British evolutionary biologist and atheist Richard Dawkins of Oxford University, writing in New Scientist, he said, the more statistically improbable a thing is, the less we can believe that it just happened by blind chance. Superficially, the obvious alternative to chance is an intelligent designer. He, of course, rejects what he called an obvious alternative, but at least he admits that common sense tells the average human being that blind chance can't account for what we see in the universe and that an intelligent designer is an obvious choice. Now, there's an important note that should be attached to this discussion. In actuality, even discussing these probabilities at all is misleading. By even discussing the idea, it could leave the impression that there's even a minute possibility of evolution occurring, however ridiculously small that chance might be. When I gave the example of the apes randomly banging on a computer to make the Encyclopedia Britannica, a probability could be calculated for that event. 
small though it may be, because there's an input device, a keyboard in existence, and therefore a chance that the animal could accidentally punch the right key at any moment and output a letter. But the evolutionary model isn't really a direct parallel to that scenario. Why? Because the evolutionary model would be more like the monkey being in a room with a computer and there being no keyboard or input device for the computer. Now, let me explain what I mean. There's no scientific evidence that supports the idea that something physical could exist forever or that something could come from nothing, that life could begin from non-life, that kinds can give rise to other kinds of life, that scientific laws could come about from nothing. And there's many other examples that could be given, all of which must be true in order for naturalistic evolution to even get going. In other words, for the evolutionary model, there's not even an existing keyboard to start with for the monkeys to even punch. You know, really, it's worse than that. There's not even a computer. In fact, there's not even a monkey to do the punching. There's nothing. The room is empty. The atheistic evolutionary model, which rejects God, starts with nothing in the room and then claims that the Encyclopedia Britannica could come into existence on its own. Question, how can a probability be calculated on nothing? Could a person stare at an empty space and calculate a probability on it? That doesn't even make any sense. Could a scientist really calculate a probability that a human will emerge from that empty space? That's superstitious mumbo-jumbo, and naturalistic evolution relies on it. So we're really not even talking about probability here. Evolution isn't a matter of probability. It's a matter of impossibility. How could a non-existent monkey replicate an encyclopedia on a non-existent computer with a non-existent keyboard. It's not just improbable, it's impossible. How could evolution start with nothing as well as no means of getting anything and yet end up with everything? You know, it's not like there's a little bit of evidence that we could use to back up the idea that that could happen. You know, a little bit, little bit of evidence would at least get us going, moving in a certain direction where we could develop some legitimate theories. That's not what the atheist has. Instead of any supporting evidence, the evolutionist starts with the opposite, evidence to the contrary. Not only is there no evidence that could be used to support the idea that life could emerge from non-life, but there's actually abundant evidence to the contrary. And since there's zero evidence that such a thing could occur, then according to the evidence, there's a zero probability of it occurring. So the third problem with the statement that Evolution is inevitable given enough time. It comes from the probability rule known as Kolmogorov's first axiom. According to this probabilistic rule, when the probability of an event is zero, the event is de defined as an impossible event. You see, all probabilities do is try to find trends that have been observed to occur in the past by observing the natural order, the universe. So if there's an event that has never been shown to be able to occur in nature, it doesn't have a trend. An event like the spontaneous generation of matter or life. If it doesn't have a probability, then that event stands as having a zero probability. You can't just wave your hands and give a probability to something that science has repeatedly proven to not occur. It's not like spontaneous generation has been shown to occur one time in three million tries. That would give it a probability. But that's not what science has shown. There's no evidence to support a probability of anything other than zero for several evolutionary events, and since several events that are necessary in order for atheistic theories to be true have a probability of zero, and according to the laws of probability, 
these atheistic theories are impossible. So even if time could actually help in the process, which it can't, the time that the evolutionists claim is needed for their theory is simply not available. Plus, the single law of chance prohibits several evolutionary events. And further, Kolmogorov's first axiom tells us that these evolutionary events are actually defined as impossible events. Probability doesn't support naturalistic evolution. The creation model, however, is fine with the evidence. It doesn't require causeless leaps from nothing to everything and from non-life to life, since a naturalistic explanation of the universe doesn't harmonize with the statistical evidence then a supernatural explanation is warranted by the evidence, a contention in keeping with the creation model. The evidence points to God. The Bible has characteristics that elevate it above human capability. It claims to be from God, and it says that He created the universe, including life. No probabilistic rule violated. Revisiting our origin model comparison chart, remember that if only one of these fundamental planks of the two origin models is shown to be false, the entire model collapses. We've seen that, according to the laws of thermodynamics, the universe could not have been created of itself. It could not have existed forever. The law of causality adds even more evidence that the universe couldn't have caused itself and also tells us that life couldn't have created itself since life requires a cause as well. Probability doesn't help the evolutionary model either. It stands against the spontaneous generation of matter and abiogenesis. The creation model, however, is in perfect harmony with the laws of science on all accounts. It argues that matter and life were created by an omnipotent, non-material entity outside of the physical universe and therefore not subject to its laws. Now, if one were to stand back at this point and assess which model is best represented by the evidence, which one would be the rational choice? Evolution is irrational. Evolution is unscientific. The evidence supports the creation model.